I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's been a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks about the Australian property market and the world ending and the sky falling in. And today I thought I'd grab John quickly and we'd have a coffee and have a bit of a chat. So let's have a chat about the property market. So, John, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm pumping. Um, So, yeah, we are on location today. We're at Flower & Co., which is uh, the little cafe right by our house. Mm. Perfect. Well, I'd like to say right by our homes because we don't live together. <laughs> we, uh, this is our local cafe and... Um, midway point. Midway point and they've got good coffee. And speaking of coffee, I just want to do a special shout out uh, to our show supporter, Glee Coffee Roasters. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to jump on gleecoffee.com.au, use the promo code M3 at the checkout. You'll get 15% off any coffee order and the coffee subscription. So if you want coffee arriving on your door every week, you can sign up to the subscription. They'll send you something random, something cool every week. And uh, it really is good coffee. And I just wanted to thank Glee Coffee Roasters for being a part of what we're doing um, and that it's also a benefit for you, the listener, anywhere in Australia. So if you love coffee, gleecoffee.com.au and the promo code at checkout, M3. Coffee gets you 10% more out of every day. Does it? Well, I think it does. Yeah. Well, it actually, for me, it gets me up to zero. Yeah, <laughs> gives you a starting <laughs> it point. It gives me a starting point, yeah. You're listening to My Millennial Money. This podcast is a lot like a trip to Bunnings on a Saturday. You go in looking for something, and all you walk out with is a sausage in your hands. <laughs> There's been a lot going on with the Australian property market, John, in the last yep. couple of weeks and um, even months. Um, Years. Would you say the peak of the market, particularly in Sydney and Melbourne, was around October last year? Yeah, well, it's interesting you say peak of the market because the media has been focusing on the housing market, right? Sure. So, and they've just plopped Australia <laughs> is one housing market. Correct. So, yeah. that's a myth that we've got to dispel. Number one. Yeah. Yeah. So, there's probably a thousand different property markets around Australia, isn't it? So we look at the top 30 by population. Sure. Uh, top 30 cities. Yep. Um, but yeah, in answer to your questions, Sydney definitely was coming off the boil late last, um, well, early early this year, I suppose. Sure. Um, sure. But it's suburb specific as well. And the same with Melbourne. Like there's still some really good growth occurring in Melbourne um, suburbs, but there's also some that have come off 15, in some cases 20%. Wow. So, so, so that would mean basically if you purchased a house in Melbourne for a million dollars, your value could have dropped by a couple of hundred grand in the last 12 months. Yeah, that's right. I was, I was talking to a buyer's agent in Melbourne last week actually and, and they were saying the, 
four to seven million dollar range is red hot at the moment. Four to seven million. Yeah. So they're, they're oh, they're, I should buy a couple. You should. You've already got two down there, haven't you? Yeah. They're cash buyers wow. basically. Yeah. So that's another a world in itself. It's the it's the one to three million dollar property prices that have come off. Sure. Um, and. Uh, and short of that is probably um, not a bad market at the moment, the sub-million dollar range. All right. Mm. So I guess what triggered this report, the ABC on the 7.30 show, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, did a three-part property report. And mm. I, I watched Monday and Tuesday's uh, episode. Uh, and, you know, they're journalists. They are reporting the news. Um, we do have to add the music, the drama, the B-roll. Yep. Like yep. We're making good TV. Mm. Um, but I just wrote some stats down that I poached from that report, uh, particularly Monday night. So the, uh, the RBA have said, basically on the record, that um, Australian monetary policy, the housing market, is in absolute uncharted waters. Yeah. Um, so we don't know what's happening next. Um, the auction clearance rates uh, could fall below 40%. Uh, yes. And I think they were using a national aggregate for that, yeah. possibly. Now, just on that, what is what does it mean, an auction clearance rate? What do, What's that mean? Yeah, so basically they, they look at the listings that are coming to auction for that particular weekend. And they say, well, what's the percentage that actually gets sold um, sure. versus passed in on that particular weekend on or the Saturday or the Sunday. So if there was 100 properties to go up for auction on yeah. the weekend, yep. uh, 40 of them would actually sell. Correct. Okay, so yeah. that's the auction yeah. clearance rate if you were wondering what that meant. So in reference to that, when at the height of probably a lot of Sydney's um, boom and, and um, Melbourne, uh, it was probably hovering around 70%. Sure. Yeah, so mid-70s mid in some cases. And more than 70% of homes were going to auction uh, at the height of the, I guess, mm. Sydney-Melbourne market last year. Yep. Now it's left less than half. Yeah. So, which is, it's actually, that's not even scandalous because you only generally go to auction when it's a hot, hot market. Hmm. Like, Unless you live in Melbourne. Melbourne's sure. the auction capital of right. Australia. So, so, they are born... Auction they people. just love their auctions. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, and and obviously the other part to that is, what about the ho- uh, the houses that are private treaty? So, not going to auction. It's it really comes back to the agent and their appetite for, are we taking this thing to auction or are we selling it privately? Sure. Mm. Uh, they're saying house prices could fall all of next year, uh, well into 2020, and Sydney and Melbourne led the Australian property boom. Now. You're talking about rarely that um, Sydney and Melbourne actually go in concert as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, it has, it's been a long while s- since Sydney and Melbourne have both experienced growth at the same time. Usually around the country, you've got one capital city leading the way um, and the others will potentially follow or have already had. Yeah, and I, I wonder, it's like a lot of people don't know that the, when you fly to Sydney from Sydney to Melbourne and Melbourne back up to Sydney, that's of the whole world. And you've got to remember, Australia has 27 million people. Yes. The Sydney to Melbourne route is the third busiest airline route in the world. Amazing stat, that. It is, it amazing. is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the media 
uh, in their boldness. They they report on where people live, don't they? So most of what their commentary is about is Sydney and Melbourne for, for that reason. And it is it is such a big deal because 55% of Australian household wealth is in housing. Mm. So the balance of that 55% could be in superannuation that's yep. just invested or gold under someone's bed. Yes. Um, so Australia does have a love affair with property and that's not uh, old news. No. 70% of Australian household debt is in housing, which, again, that's why I guess it's exacerbated that it's such of an interest because mm. 70% of all the debt that we have mm. is secured against an asset, which we're being told is cooling off and the world's ending. That's so right. freak out everybody. Yeah, yeah. And Australia does have a love affection for property, don't they? Like. Mm. Uh, it's it's a pretty common topic at, at the barbecue. Um, somewhere like China, for example, they've got a, a, a cap on one property per person, don't yeah. they? So yeah, well, actually, you know what it was? Um, John and I went to Shanghai last year, and it was the reason why most Chinese only buy one property is because the second property, mm. by law, they have to put 70% down. Yeah. So would you rather put... $700,000 down on an apartment in Shanghai yeah. or take your seven hundred grand to Australia and buy two properties or three. Outright. Yeah. yeah. So that's a pretty simple one there as mm. to why the Chinese are buying um, Australian property. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to know just where we are today. Like since the 70s, uh, right up until 2000 and beyond, the gap between the price of... Like if you had a, a graph, mm. so... And at the very bottom corner, there was two lines and they yes. were both growing together. Mm-hmm. And the bottom line was wages and the top line was property prices. Yep. Since the 70s, those lines are just going apart. Dividing, aren't they? So, in, yeah. so for example, in 1990, uh, you could buy a house, I guess, in your usual suburbia for f- the four times the median income. Mm. Whereas well into the 2000s and now, it can get up to nine times. Yeah, and I think that there's always the um, read the italics or the or the note below. But the important part of that is not so much the house prices or the house value, but what's your debt on that house? Sure. Like when you look to the the debt to income ratio, it's a very different story. So mm. when obviously. Um, Negative press like that gets um, gets readers, yeah. and, and that's a, an alarming um, trend or graph to show. But if they actually showed the debt to uh, income levels, it's a different mm. story. And if I can just add there, it's uh, 3 p.m., um, mm. and I said we should do it at this time today because I was here yesterday at 3 p.m. And there was freaking no one in this bloody cafe or on the street, <laughs> and now I can literally count 15 people. Look, it's making it real. <laughs> oh, mm. So, but I guess just to bookend where we're at today, over the last 12 months, Sydney has cooled off 9.5%-ish mm. as an mm-hmm. aggregate total, and Melbourne, 6%. But it's interesting to know that your comments that there are different parts of the market. So, Sydney might have 30 sub-markets, right? Yeah, more. more. Yeah, absolutely. And back to my Melbourne example, I've... I know suburbs that have shown eight to ten percent growth in the last twelve months, and I've known suburbs that have come off 
up to 20%. Yeah. Uh, and the same's happened um, in, in Sydney as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. yeah. And then we're talking, not only are we talking sub-markets, but we're also talking apartments versus houses, like the apartment market in Sydney at the moment, massively oversupplied and um, people can't settle and things mm. like that, mm. whereas the housing market traditionally is, uh, has been okay. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's... Um, before we get into um, a solution forward and what does all this mean, um, it's important to note that APRA, who is the, essentially the regulator of the banks, yeah. um, uh, probably last year or 18 months ago, they basically tapped the banks on the shoulder and said, you need to cool it down. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a case of be careful what you wish for because I think maybe there has possibly been some unintended consequences uh, with what's been happening because the, the absolute un- underlying factor here is credit is tightening. Yes. And there's no big talk of interest rates rising next year like by the no. RBA. No, there's uh, a lot of commentary the, to say it's going south before it goes north. Exactly. So we're, mm. we're almost at a point now where the banks are um, deviating from the RBA's announcements. Mm. Uh, or lack of announcements mm. and just doing their own thing anyway. Yeah, and they've been doing that probably for the last yeah 12 to 18 mm. months really, but obviously it's compounded from the APRA regulation changes to then the Royal Commission. So um, banks have had to... And I think with the, the banks are going, oh crap, we've just been hammered in the Royal Commission, mm. we're going to start making our changes and tightening things up and cleaning things up now. Yeah. So when the results come out in February... Uh, a lot of their stuff has changed. Um, so, so within all that, John, it's um, we we did the shout out to, for people to ask their property questions. There was actually no questions about the world's ending. What do I do? It was still um, I've I've got aspirations. How do I do it? And I think that's important to note that one. Don't watch the news. Turn off your TV mm. and don't go into debt. Be good with your money. Be a good employee, and life will be okay. And it's testament to our listeners or our quality of listeners because um, because I would have expected eight out of the ten questions to be around that that fear mongering that's going on, but none of them are, which is great, isn't it? Totally. So mm. it's I think it's important, like, um, to note that. Whether the government changes, whether the RBA makes a change, whether the property market cools off, it goes back to strategy with your own life. Yeah. So, let, what do we want to do and in what order? Yeah. And before you worry about buying a house or whatever, just worry about cleaning up your debt. Because mm. you don't want to buy a house with credit card debt that you can't control no. because you're only going to get into more trouble. So, yeah. it's, if you want to buy a house, have you got a regular savings plan? Mm. Can we work on our savings muscles? If the housing prices in your area or whatnot are cooling off over the next two years, yeah. maybe you've got two years to get your act together. Yeah, that's right. And and coincidentally, I, I did a video on this a few weeks back, um, turning risk into security. We can look at it as the whole world's caving in or we can look at it as a reality check to say, well, let's get my um, life in order and uh, and prepare myself for, for the action. Yeah, and I'll put a link to the YouTube video in the show notes so people can jump on and, um, and yeah. check that out. Yeah, cool. Um, but before we get into those written questions, uh, I'm going to grab Tim who um, is just here with us. So we've got Tim who is the co-owner of Flower & Co right here at Twin Bay. Thanks for letting us record in your cafe or out on the 
on the balcony. I've got myself a nice long black, so thanks, Tim. Anytime, anytime. Uh, and I will just note, I actually had to pay for this, um, which is weird because sometimes when I do a shout-out here, um, don't have to pay, but anyway, it's still nice I nevertheless. Know. Often it's coffee for comment. <laughs> it is. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. Tim, you're a self-employed individual. Yep. And we're actually, we'll get you back on the podcast next year to talk about the cool stuff that you do, but just give us a shout-out of what you work on. The uh, my other projects. Yeah. So besides here running the cafe, I also run a magazine yep. called The North Journal. Uh, it's just an independent storytelling publication that's proudly independent and free sure. for all. And that's quarterly. And, so. and you generally see that up at the east coast of Australia at the moment? Yeah, we distribute between um, as far as Marimbula all wow. the way up to the Northern Rivers and wow. the Gold Coast. But it's very grassroots. We we do all the deliveries ourselves or through friends, and yeah, it's a very small operation. But yeah, oh, yeah, that's cool. So we said before, if you've got any questions about property, mm. um, ask us. What would your question be? Um, I guess my biggest question is: being a small business owner, how hard is it for me to get a house loan? Because um, obviously, from hearsay and comments people make. It, Everyone makes it sound like it could be very difficult for Grace and I to get a loan. Sure. And may I ask your age? So, I'm 33. Sure. Yeah. And Grace is? 25. 25, yeah. yeah. So, I might throw to John. Do you want to start the conversation? Sure. Uh, so, so, Tim, I suppose I, I want to pre-frame it by just explaining a couple of things to the listeners. Um, when we're lending... There's there's three types of loans: full doc loan, uh, low doc loan, and no doc loan. Now the days of low doc, uh, sorry, no doc, uh, are long gone for now. So you can't get a no doc loan out there in the in the marketplace at the minute. Um, but you can get low doc, and they are really attractive for people like yourself that are self-employed uh, because your income fluctuates and you've got um, tax deductions, etc., in your, in your business and, um, and all those sort of things as opposed to just standard payslips. Um, the full doc loan for self-employed, you usually need two years worth of um, tax returns and if you're someone that hasn't been trading for that long or the two years don't look that flash but your cash flow is strong, what you can do is, is opt for a low doc loan, which basically in today's lending is an accountant's declaration. Um, he's seen your figures and, or, or she and have basically said, yeah, look, Tim can, can um, a- apply for this type of loan and can handle these repayments based on the last 12 months or two years or three years of your business cash flow. Does that make sense? In the last couple of years, all lending has tightened. There's no doubt about that. Um, and interest rates, whilst they've remained stable with the RBA, um, a lot of banks have increased their rates as well. Right now, the the disadvantage of a low doc loan is a higher interest rate. So there's a bit of a penalty interest there as a as a result of not providing as much documentation to the banks as a full doc loan. Right. So you've really got to do the sums, and it comes back to I suppose your accountant or, your, or and your mortgage broker to say, well. Do we want to get a low doc loan now, or do we want to wait another two years so we can provide full doc loan um, figures that are going to 
be enough to service a loan that we want. Um, so there's a lot of variables around that. Um, I, I think the bottom line, where there's a will, there's a way. And I, I, I also think that, um, like, I've got a client who's gone the low-doc option and, and their interest rate's about 4.8, I think. If it was a full-doc loan, it would be somewhere around 4.1, 4.2. However... The accountant's declaration means that they can continue on their business as normal um, and if it was a full doc loan, they'd have to, uh, I suppose, have a much greater turnover um, in that uh, business structure than, than what it would be with an accountant's declaration. So what they're saving potentially on tax, um, they're outlaying for some of the higher interest rate of that mortgage. Mm. That's the long-winded explanation. <laughs> so I guess, John, you've done a really good job of covering the mechanics about getting the mortgage and I guess what we can say is it's if you are self-employed, it's not impossible to get a home. Okay? No. But I think what we need to do when we're self-employed is not be under the illusion that we're any different to somebody who's employed. So that, And I always default to the basic personal finance money management. Mm. So we'd want to make sure that yourself and Grace somehow pay yourself a regular and consistent income and have our own savings and basically structure within our life. And then, you know, it could take 12 months to actually start to... Because we still might need a deposit. Is Mm. that correct, John? Yeah, absolutely. So we still need to get the ball rolling. But I will just say to anyone who is self-employed, don't think it's any different in terms of how you need to manage your money because whether I'm self-employed or not, I still buy my coffee. Whether I'm self-employed or not, I still got to pay for rent. Whether I'm self-employed or not, I still need um, clothes. I need food. So we still need to... I Like I've got a personal spending plan for myself and a spending plan for the business. Mm-hmm. It just means I am basically see myself as an employee of myself. So Yeah, and, and you're right. The fundamentals don't change. Your, your cash flow management still needs to be adhered to, business and personal. Um, I, I think that the difference is uh, people go and, and talk to one lender or one broker and say, well, no, you need a two years of strong financials. So, okay, well, I'll come back when I've got two years of strong financials. As I said before, where there's a will, is a way, and, and some banks are actually taking 12 months of financials instead of two years, so that's that's a bonus. And the other part of it is, well, with a low-doc option, if you know your cash flow projections as a business owner and, and the consistency of that, then the risks are, are quite minimal in that sense as well. And it still doesn't, to me, change the fact that you've got to stop living week to week. Because if yeah. you're living week to week as a self-employed person, we need to go up the tra- uh, up the tree mm. to work out. Okay, well, there's a business um, cash flow issue, mm. and we need to get that sorted so we can. And maybe the first goal is we're all, always going to make sure there's ten thousand dollars in the business account at all times, or whatever it is. So the peaks and troughs of the natural business cycle, you guys can still pull out a wage of whatever, mm. and then. Um, we can start to build your personal finances. and So whether you're self-employed or not, I would say we need to have a goal of, hey, can we at least save 20 grand? And within that, if you're self-employed or not, I would still expect anyone to have any of their personal debt cleared, whether you've got an old personal loan, an old car loan that isn't got anything to do, hasn't got anything to do with the business, an old TV from JB Hi-Fi, because JB Hi-Fi's don't sell TVs, John, they sell finance. <laughs> <laughs> what about Dick Smith? He's gone. He's gone. Um, uh, so, so, Tim, is it for a, 
uh, owner occupier or investment? Which one? Or you just don't care? You want to get into the market? We're not sure. We're we're a bit um, we're a bit lost when it mm. comes to what to do because okay. basically we love where our cafe is and we love this area and we mm. rent here and we mm. live a block behind the beach, but we yep. can't afford to ever really to at this stage own here. Okay. So oh. part of me thinks. I wonder if it's better to buy somewhere maybe, you know, further inland and rent. But, I mean, what's your opinion on on that for your yeah, first property? Yeah, you, you and I need to have a coffee at the Flower yeah. & Co and uh, <laughs> yeah, so crush it out in more think, detail. So, for you, I think you've hit the nail on the head. The, the self-employed part, just from that comment, hasn't got anything to do with the house purchase. I no. think it's more of a let's step back and have a a come to Jesus moment with yourself, Grace and John and go, what do we want our life to look like over the next five years? Yeah. And we need to build wealth for the future. Does that mean we're an investment property or are we we setting up an investment account and just putting money in an investment account? Mm. So I think before we even answer that question, is it possible to buy? I think it's important to step back and go, well, what do we want our life to look like? Yeah, to, so, to girls and... Um, do you want to have any final questions or comments to John? Well, I guess commenting on that, I guess when you do run a small business, you obviously take a pay cut, leaving my career in television mm. to do it. Um, but a massive thing is wanting that lifestyle. So you want to be able to walk to work yeah. and from where you're living. And yeah. I guess sacrificing that to buy a place is probably why we haven't thought seriously about getting a mortgage. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, and I meet so many people that have bought where they can afford, not where they want to. And, and I see it too often. Um, and I'll, I'm not saying it's the wrong thing to do, but from a lifestyle perspective, it sounds as though you have a high priority on lifestyle. Yeah. Um, what's, what's wrong with renting one door from your work in a, in a suburb that you want if you can continue to invest going forward anywhere around the country? And I would also add like, how long have you um, owned Flower & Co here? Uh, yeah, so we've had Flower & Co for two years uh, this week, actually. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Well, happy birthday. Congratulations. But um, I think what we need to do as well is take, the more time John and I talk to people, the more times that we see that people, and we all do it, is put too much pressure on ourselves to do mm. stuff. And you can live your life however you want. And I think even if you tread water for three years while the business is getting mm. established and it's all good because this investment here is probably will be, well, I'll go out on a limb. There's a high chance that owning a business will give you a better return than any property would. John, <laughs> we're going to end the interview there. <laughs> this show's over. Yeah. But <laughs> so, all right. Well, we, we might bookend, um, we might bookend that. Uh, little yeah. No, I know what you're saying. There. It's an asset that you're growing. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was, yeah. that was the we made the decision to invest in a business mm. as opposed to investing in a house. Because if I wanted to buy a house, I would have stayed in my previous career, and it might have happened a lot sooner. Yeah. We made this decision to say, hey, let's invest in this for now, and then in a few years' time, we'll evaluate the house situation. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I, from even just the you know just chatting I think you're absolutely on track because it was a conscious decision to have the business mm. get that sorted I yeah. did the same I rented while I built my business and I think now it's like okay what do the next couple of years look like yeah. and you probably both would benefit by having a joint conversation with John mm. just to 
start to dream because the business is established now and it's pumping and whatnot. Um, yeah, and as, as a self-employed um, myself since I was 24, I, I was renting up until I was 35. And the only reason I bought a family home today is basically because of kids and schooling and things like that and and, and paint their rooms and things like that. So uh, I think the message and the, the great Aussie dream is is buy your own home, isn't it? But it doesn't say you have to live in it, right? <laughs> so too many people get wrapped up, as you mentioned before, Glenn, about, well, I've got to keep up with the Joneses maybe and uh, why aren't you living in your own home? Why, why are you renting still? Like... To, to blue with that. Like I, I, it's... I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the great Aussie dream sucks. Mm. It should be what's the great your dream? And I mean, yeah. that's really bad grammar. But yeah, that's it's... a better limb than the last one you went out on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the question, Tim, and we hope that it's been thought-provoking. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Awesome. Thanks, and, Tim. And thanks for the delicious long black. So, we'll now move on to the questions from our listeners. And I actually got a question from somebody on Instagram. And it happens to be from Asher, the voiceover guy. <laughs> What's he doing? Which suburbs in New South Wales, especially the Central Coast, are next to be gentrified or in the process of gentrification? <laughs> I want to mingle with the lesser folk before booting them out. <laughs> well, Asher, first and foremost, Central Coast is not a suburb. Secondly, no, no, he said which suburbs in New South Wales? Oh, yeah, especially the Central Coast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that a zing? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's good at his voiceovers. He is, yeah. Do we want to answer that? Because regentrification is a real uh, hot one, I think. And, and yeah, well, let's let's use the example because we do have a lot, of, a lot of listeners on the New South Wales Central Coast. Mm. Let's use the example of Long Jetty. Yeah. And I'll start by saying probably six, seven years ago, mm. there was, um, it was still a bloody, don't wear, um, make sure you wear shoes because you might get a needle jab yeah. and end up with HIV or yeah. hepatitis, okay? Yeah, yeah. Now, there was one cafe that stepped out um, and started, and mm. I think it was um, Kerry and Marin Knight from Two Birds, oh, kind yeah. of the first yeah. third wave kind of good yep. coffee cafe in the area mm-hmm. um, and then I think what's happened was uh, because Long Jetty was close to that mm. it was cheap rent mm. uh, and then you know over time little cafes have popped up and and I know like this area that we're in there used to be little fibro holiday shacks mm. everywhere uh, so what's happening like fast forward 10 years what's happened to the gentrification yeah so Probably 2014 was when it first started to, to grow in, in value. So if you bought in around that time, 2013, 14, you would have seen growth pretty much overnight. Mm. Um, now, yeah, so as you said, one or two cafes started to open up and, and stick their neck out and then a whole heap followed and, and other little trendy uh, clothes shops and everything else um, started to move in. But what that did was um, as the Central Coast was growing as an area at the same time, so people saw value in being in in the suburb of Long Jetty, the fundamentals were still there. Mm. There was there was already a lake there. There's already walking distance to a beach. And I guess it was 
quite unique because the Central Coast, we are an hour and 15 minutes from Sydney. Mm. And, you know, where we're looking at the moment, like I can look down the road there and I can see the ocean. Yeah. So, would you rather buy a house in the eastern suburbs of Sydney for $2 million with water views Mm. or come up here to the coast an hour away for $700,000 with water views at the time? Yeah, and traditionally the Central Coast and Newcastle markets um, follow the Sydney growth. But in this instance, both of those actually moved at the same time Sydney did. Sure. So why we why I personally see continued um, performance on the Central Coast is now the Sydney siders have equity in their home. Where can they go next? They've got equity to go and buy something on the Central Coast for half the price mm. still. Yeah. Because it, it's it's yeah. relative. And a, a lot of people like I'm actually not ever worried about the property market on the Central Coast because which I think for everyone like the freeways being upgraded mm. I think we're always going to be um, part of the Sydney market and always uh, a cheaper alternative yeah. so I don't think particularly near the major motorways here I don't think there's going to be a big issue no. um, but basically yeah the gentrification thing is uh, it was once a dumpy old town with nothing there. Uh, the hipsters moved in. There's a scene that started at the same time. There was there was the perfect storm really with mm. gentrification. Like the uh, the blocks were big. There were old shacks. People were buying the blocks, pushing them over. Yeah. Um, and then after they finished pushing the methods over, yes. they would <laughs> push the houses over um, and rebuild and you know rinse and repeat. Um, yeah. But do you know any suburbs in Melbourne that? comes to mind that just for some reference for some people down there that's had some gentrification uh probably heading towards sort of frankston way has had a lot of regentrification. gentrification to a point or is that a bit more of a commercial that, center yeah it's more of an apartment market that sure. it, it's definitely gentrified but at the same time it because of the apartment oversupply but uh the growth wasn't really there sure. but, but sort of southern melbourne um or that southeastern <laughs> suburbs further out from the ritzy suburbs I think they became a lot more accessible because of freeways and, and uh, a lot of that. So looking at infrastructure, number one, um, but then affordability, number two, mm. that, that combined a pretty uh, solid outcome. Mm. Mm. So anyway, that's just a bit on gentrification. Uh, in terms of the Central Coast, gosh, I don't, maybe the peninsula, Woi Woi? Yeah, Woi Woi, your miner, had, has had some <clears throat> really good, it's a, a good story because they were sort of lower socios as well, weren't they? Sure. And they, similar thing, beachside suburbs, big blocks, um, and then, yeah, developers came in, but but also owner-occupiers wanted to live there. And just as fun fact, what I would probably suggest, if you do want to look at the gentrification and the growth of an area, just follow the, the big boys around, like the Bunnings and the Woolworths, because they're doing the research, so let them do the research for you. Yeah, yeah, it's a just want to talking to the mic. Yes, I do. Yeah, <laughs> how's that, mate? I'll halve your salary. <laughs> What's half of nothing? Still nothing. Yeah, um, yeah, and and some people say that. Well, why don't we just chase Bunnings around wherever they open up? We open up, but some in in some cases Bunnings are building um, or, or starting up in an area long before the suburbs really taking shape exactly, yeah. because of the um, yeah. Yeah, building support. Well, I know um, out here at Tugger, and we'll stop talking about our little area, mm. but um, the Westfield at Tugger, I think, opened in 1995. Yeah. The, the, I think it's the Terence Tower Group, which is essentially Westfield, they pretty much purchased half of Tugger 
20 years before that. Right. So it was a really long game. Like they owned mm. the, the business park, the super center, uh, Woodry Park and all that housing estate. They literally just per- purchased half of Tugra. Mm. And I believe they've still got land up at Doyleson somewhere. Um, mm. Very good. So now we'll go to your questions. Um, can I read these? Sure. And then I'll get you to answer them. Um, for the love of God, what the crap is an offset account and do I need it if I have a fixed rate home loan? Number one, generally mm. you wouldn't get an offset account against a fixed rate home loan. Um, you mm. can, but there's a little bit extra of a fee and you just probably wouldn't do it. Uh, I'm not a mortgage broker, but I'm probably right. Um, well, you're not. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> teachers, teachers Mutual Bank, yeah. uh, where... The qualification in most cases, you have to be a teacher. Sure. I'm a teacher of life. <laughs> dun, dun. Um, so that they actually give an offset account on a fixed loan with no fees. Sure. Which is quite random. Yeah. So you, you're almost right in the sense yeah, the that hardly anyone rule. does it. Yeah, yeah. the general rule. Uh, but if you do want to know, just Google what is an <clears throat> offset account, Glenn James, and I've got a blog article that pretty much methodically tells you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically offsets, any money you've got in there offsets the, the debt on, on your loan. Yeah. Adam Power asks, um, is now a good time to sell for cash? Won't be rebuying. Yeah. Um, I'd like to know there um, what's, what he's doing with that cash and, and where is he actually, mm. where has he got the property? Yeah. Because um, I'm not a massive fan of, of selling. For a, for a short-term win. So, th- there's probably a bit more to, mm. to help answer that. Maybe you can um, send me a message and I yeah. can help you out there. Yeah. So, if you want, Adam, just reply to, I don't know, send me a message on Instagram and mm. I'll connect you with John and you can have a bit of a call. But essentially, yeah, we, we can't talk and the media do really good statements of this like we said at the start. It's like we just can't talk blanket statements. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't actually... You go to America and they're like, coffee's good in Australia. We're known as a cafe scene. Yeah. Like, yeah, on balance, the coffee's good mm. in Australia, but there's mm. a lot of crap places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so. and, and to give him an example to, to help answer the question just now is if, if I was a speculator and I'd bought in Sydney four years ago and I wanted to get my money out and put it elsewhere, I would have sold 12 months ago. Yeah, yeah. Not now. Yeah. Mm. And that's it. If you're starting to think about stuff now, you may have missed the boat. Yeah. If you're doing it as a strategic thing. Yes. Um, Nathan Marsh asks, how does equity work and how can I borrow against the equity in my house for an investment property? Yeah. Okay. So, equity works in the way where um, the lending allows you to borrow the value of, of your home on paper. Um, so, if a, if a home was worth a million dollars, they allow you to borrow up to 80% of that amount in most cases, minus the debt you've got on that loan, mm. on that property. So, if you had a um, million dollar property, 80% of that's 800, minus your debt, if your debt was 500, you've then got usable equity of 300,000. 300, yeah. yeah. And you can potentially take that and go and use it as deposit and costs for another property, yep. uh, but it's it's not your money that you own outright. You'll pay interest on that 300000 Yeah, Some so people think that it's, that's theirs for I'll free. I'll just go one step further because I really like to simplify things because we can't assume everybody mm. is on the same page. If you had a, uh, 
a mortgage, we'll just use the thousand a million dollars, mm-hmm. and you owed a million dollars on that property, you would have zero equity because yep. there's no amount that you don't own. No. If you had a million dollar property and you didn't have any mortgage and you owned it outright, you would have one hundred percent equity. Yes. If you had a mortgage of five hundred thousand, mm-hmm. you would have fifty percent equity. Mm. And that means the loan-to-value ratio, or we call it LVR, and yep. we are actually putting together an episode probably in the new year with some uh, lingo mm-hmm. stuff, the loan-to-value ratio would be 50%. Yeah. Because you've got a loan of 50% and the balance of value is 50%. Yeah. Just just um, and reinforcing that you can't go and use that whole 50%. The banks won't lend up to 100% of its value. That's right. Yeah. So... That's cool. Um, sea salt and Sundays. Uh, first home buyers, when to buy? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Well, when you've got the deposit. Yeah. Well, particularly first home buyers, if you can scrape the money together and it's a home you want to live in, mm. we, we can we can take advantage of a lot of the stamp duty exemptions yeah. and the first home buyers exemptions that are state based all around Australia. Yes. So, first home buyers, when is when is it right time to buy? When you've got a deposit, when you're out of personal loan debt, when mm. when you're ready to go, yes, we want to live in that suburb. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other argument or other part to that is, do you want to live in it or are you just buying your first home? So, is it, uh, yes, you're taking advantage of the first homeowner's grant in, in one arm, but on the other arm, it's... It may be for investment purposes. So they're prob- I'm, I'm presuming that they're talking what's the market doing and, and is it a good time to buy? The, the first part of it would be, well, where is it that you do want to buy? Yeah. Because there are probably areas that you maybe wouldn't buy now or could go in and get a substantial discount. Sure. Um, just wait till this truck goes. So maybe send us a message and ask... Well, tell us where is it that you're looking. Sure. Uh, so, Sea Salt and Sundays, uh, if you want to flick us a message, John can have a chat with you if you want. Um, Annette Carly, what research do you do to find a good area to invest? Yeah, it's a good one. We've already touched on a bit of that in terms of infrastructure. Um, we look at population growth and, and obviously, conversely, population decline. Um, economy. What's the economy doing? Is it growing? Is it stable? Is it uh, is it is it going south? Um, and then we look at more macro indicators around um, what's the historical um, growth been like and and the performance and potentially going forward. What's the government local government plans? But also what's the the um, state government plans? And where do I get this information from? Is there a website? You know propertyresearch.com solve all my problems or are we building our own profile and have to go to this website for that the ABS for that um, yeah and that's where probably people get analysis paralysis or, or too hard basket is like there's a good good um, sub uh, website called SQM research which will give you it, it's free data it'll give you the the gross rental yields of the of the suburb or area it'll give you a uh, um, vacancy rates to know if there's a potential oversupply in that area at the moment. Um, then there's there's realestate.com is a, obviously a, a straightforward one. Um, RP Data is probably the, the best one around the country, but it, 
at $300 a month, most people yeah, no can't thanks. afford it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we get our research from probably eight to ten different medians. Yeah. And, like, if someone was to engage you on a 12-month coaching program and they had an appetite to buy, um, would you basically be able to help them or teach them how to research and make their own decision. 100%. And, and yep. so if, if you said, yeah, this is what we look for, yep. you would say, yep, no, nah, that looks ridiculous to me. I probably wouldn't do that because of these reasons. Yeah, and probably I'd never tell someone that that was ridiculous, but I'd give them the understanding for them to come to the conclusion that it is ridiculous, right? Yes. So whether that be case studies or showing them the indicators to look for and then they come back and, and uh, it's all by doing. I mean, they um, they quickly find out if they followed our methods yeah. um, what's uh, good, bad and ugly. Yeah, sure. Mm. Um, Georgie Burgess asks, is it worth waiting two years to save... Uh, a 20% deposit or buy now with only a 10% deposit and pay lender's mortgage insurance and she's in Orange, New South Wales. Georgie, uh, personally, I would say now 10% and and cough up the LMI. Yep. It's capitalised into the loan. Which means basically you just borrow, if the LMI was $20,000 or $15,000, yeah. you would just borrow that amount and add it to the mortgage. Yeah. So yeah. at least it gets you in the market. Gets you in the market, and, yeah. But, you know, John, it's like, I like the fact that, you know, Georgie, if you're debt-free, we'll assume mm. that you're debt-free, mm. no credit cards and all that crap. If you've got a 10% deposit or you're nearly there, yeah. I w- and you had an appetite to buy um, your home in Orange to live in, Yeah. I because I didn't do this, I... I did what George did basically did the 10% paid the mortgage insurance 10% yeah 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 I'm doing what she's one of the options sorry yeah. so I can start to enjoy life and get on with it and yeah. I think the you know I would I would think Georgie you would have more joy in life jumping in now at 10% mm. and with a little bit of lender's mortgage insurance um, yeah. than renting or whatever it is for the next however long yeah well, if the fast train comes in and uh, goes through Orange, then she might have wanted to got in earlier than later. But the question I would have is, is it for investment or is she wanting to live in it? Um, I'm presuming at the moment that she's wanting to live in it. Sure. Um, if that's the case, the LMI would not be tax deductible. If it was an investment property, good chance she can claim that LMI back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a few variables around that, but um, monitoring the Orange market as well is mm. a is an important one to know that you're not overpaying. Yeah. And um, just, I forgot to mention that when the person asked about the offset account, her name is Champagne Honey. (laughs) Uh, Shout out out to Um, Champagne Honey. Ali May C asks, is the Barefoot Investors method the real deal? I feel like his weight isn't achievable. And to be honest, John, I actually didn't know what... uh, the Barefoot Investors method is because I haven't really read the book. I've just flicked through it and Same. general concepts and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll get you. Um, but I sent her a message and I'll just read it. Because um, you and him have sort of, you've got mixed opinions of each other, haven't you? Well, I've never met the guy, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure he's a nice guy. 
I just think his views on insurances suck. Yeah. And I think he's categorically wrong. And that's okay. Um, yeah. Well, he gives a method of saying... Well, he gives a method of saving a 20% deposit in 24 months. He says that a single person on an average income can do that. But his example is based on a couple with no kids who both earn 80k each, uh, which is an average for most people. So I guess it's... Is it possible to save 20% deposit in 24 months for anyone? Mm. Or is there actually no one-size-fits-all method? I feel like reading Barefoot Investor made me feel worse about buying a home than better. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the double income, no kids scenario is is a unique one and and maximize that while you can that's for sure um i would i would say 20 percent in two years is um borderline very hard to do unless you're buying in horsham victoria or timbuktu um so yeah i, I think to put a general uh, goal or reason on that is probably a bit and i mean short so five hundred thousand dollar house who's saving a hundred grand in two years, yeah. 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 I'm certainly not. Not many. I'd rather go on a freaking holiday and spend it. Yeah. So, he's he's more keen on the idea of saving 20% than 10% and paying LMI, right? Mm. That's yeah, well, that's essentially it. what he's saying. Yeah. So because the LMI, I think it, it's not a bad thing if it's a long-term... If property's a long-term strategy mm. and it all goes back to when we buy the property, we don't have to... We want to set up our life, so hmm. we don't have to react and sell it. Well, the we sell it when we need to strategically. It's not. Yeah, correct. I lost my job because I've I'm disabled due to an accident. I have hmm. to sell it. Well, no, we have income insurance, and hmm. you know, life goes on financially. It's not. I don't know. Some, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just the risk you take in saving that extra ten percent and in time is a the market could move. Um, forwards, which means you get left behind and can't chase it. Sure. Also, your situation may change too. So, what in the midst of saving that extra ten percent, you you may something may happen where you, um, I don't know, you may lose your job or something like that. Now, yes, that can happen while you're owning the property, but at least you're in there and you've you've potentially got options to play with. Um, so, yeah, no one size fits all there, Scotty. Definitely. Uh, and Books Plus Caffeine says, and I couldn't read the rest of it. I don't know why. It cut off when I printed it. Investing in my first property, live in Adelaide. Pros and cons of apartments closer or houses, I guess, further out. Yeah, so apartments versus houses. Uh, traditionally, probably I'm a, a housing fan over an apartment fan. And I just want to know... What what's the reason for them buying? Is it is it their forever home? Is it an investment property? Um, if it was Adelaide right now, I'd be definitely looking at houses versus um, buying an apartment. Um, but yeah, convenience is great living in an apartment, but uh, it also restricts the um, the end user um, if it's um, smaller space. I think me personally, like I just got that apartment. I don't like. I would only buy a brand new apartment. Yeah. And it wasn't my first. Um, hey, how are you? <laughs> um, it wasn't my first. Like it was my third property. Yeah. So it was part of the portfolio. Correct. So. Yeah. And I did the same. Yeah. And I mean, so I'm not going to buy an, a 70 year old apartment. Put it that way. No. 
No, they're just uh, there's limitations around a lot of that. And if they were looking at first homeowners grant, um, the the new apartment may be appealing to to get the grant plus the uh, um, no stamp duty, etc. Yeah. But the capital growth is then the questionable part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So, actually, on that, are you happy if Books Plus Caffeine wants to reach out and have a coffee when you're in Adelaide next? Yeah, sure. Got some quality clients in Adelaide, so I'm there early next year. Yeah, cool. Oh, I'm actually in Adelaide on the 21st of January-ish. I'm going down. Maybe we can hang out down there. Maybe we could. We could do a podcast down there. All right, well, we might leave it there, but um, any final kind of bookend thoughts or comments you want to make just on the recent media hype and all the... Well, number one, I'll say jump on to John's website, solvairwealth.com.au. He does a cool video about the risks of um, not taking action. Is that what it's called? Uh, Turning risk into security. Yeah, they'll do. Yeah. (laughs) Just... Pulling out all the MythBusters, basically, sure. but yeah. Look, as I said before, I'm really surprised and impressed that a lot of those questions are geared towards them driving forward and not questioning the future. It's yeah. great. Yeah, love it, love it. Mm. All right, John, we'll um, TTYL. Right, Lakes. Remember, we hang out on Insta at My Millennial Money. If you're a regular listener, you're welcome to join our Facebook group. If you want more money hacks, be sure to subscribe to My Millennial Money Express. It's short money hacks anywhere, anytime, right into your ears. Any advice in this podcast is of a general nature only and has not been tailored to your personal circumstances. Please seek personal advice prior to acting on this information. Before making a decision to acquire a financial product, you should obtain and read the product disclosure statement relating to that product. Opinions constitute our judgment at the time of issue and are subject to change. Neither the licensee, any of the National Australia Group of Companies, nor their employees or directors give any warranty of accuracy nor accept any responsibility for errors or omissions in this podcast. Glenn James, Urban Ghetto Proprietary Limited, trading a sort your money out, are authorised representatives of Apogee Financial Planning Limited, AFSL 230689. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.